God. Jesus, uh, as we uh, once again gather to your word, I pray you would open up uh, the meaning, open up the heart of this. And uh, God, even if each of us just take one thing out of this this morning, God, that we would uh, learn from you and be shaped and molded by you. In Jesus' name, amen. A pastor and his wife had decided that they would take on this wonderful undertaking to have the church leaders and council and all that over to their house for dinner. Well, it was quite an undertaking. You got to clean the house, cook the food, prep all your children to be nice and, and to be courteous. And the pastor and his wife really wanted to be salt and light for the leaders of their church. Well, when it came down time for dinner, everybody sat down and uh, the wife said to their four-year-old daughter, by the way, note to parents, don't ever do this. I did this actually the other night and I was thinking to myself, I always say don't ever do this. But anyway, when it came down for dinner, the pastor's wife asked the four-year-old daughter if she would say grace. And so the daughter said, well, no, I don't know what to say. And her mom just kind of smiles and looks around and everybody says, it's okay, honey. Uh, just say what I say, uh, okay? And uh, everybody bows their head and the little girl folds her hands and says, oh, dear Lord, why am I having all these people over for dinner? Amen. <laughs> it's tough to be salt and light. A missionary to India once had the rare chance of speaking directly to Gandhi in the early 20th century. And after a few moments of small talk, the missionary just went for it and said, Sir, what do you believe is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? And without striving for an answer, Gandhi quickly said, It is said that the world would become a more Christian place were it not for Christians. And, of course, it was an attack on the Christian witness in India. A recent USA Today article reported that 9 out of 10 uh, non-Christian Americans believe that the Christian church has lost its spiritual relevancy and replaced it with judgmentalism and hypocrisy. The Barna Research Company conducted an interview in which evangelical Christians rated only slightly higher than prostitutes as contributors to society in the perspective of non-Christian America. Sometimes, and, and of course, we could go on and on and on. You can do a Google search about negative statistics of Christianity and come up with over a million hits. But I often wonder, do these opinions really matter? Do people who perhaps have never been a part of a church or have never seen what some of our churches are doing in our cities or heard what our churches are teaching or actually even talked to someone who attends a church regularly, do they really have an educated or an informed opinion about the church any more than I could give an opinion on quantum physics? having never been exposed to it. I came across an interesting article that opened my eyes a little bit to Hollywood. In the film history, from 1933 to 1967, it is considered the golden age of Hollywood, in which Hollywood displayed an unmatched level of creativity and excellence, all while maintaining 
wholesome content, for the public demanded it. At the end of the 1960s, however, sparked by the National Council of Churches, Hollywood experienced a massive exodus of Christians from the film industry. And here's the reason. The National Council of Churches claimed that it could no longer financially afford to keep its Hollywood offices open, and so they closed them. The Council of Churches abandoned Hollywood, and this signaled the end of the strong moral backbone that the film industry had known during those years. By the way, this is from Sam Engel. Some of you will know he is the head of 20th Century Fox. His final quote is this, if you take the salt from the meat, the meat's going to rot. He says, perhaps this salt dropout was the catalyst for the rotting morals of Hollywood today, eventually giving leeway to increasingly blatant anti-Christian messages in movies. By 1980, no less than 11 years after the closing of the National Church offices in Hollywood, the adult film industry had replaced the Christian film industry almost entirely for B-budget movies. Now, if this can happen in the world of Hollywood fantasy, what would happen, Mr. Engel says, in the real reality of this world if the church simply went away? If the church was gone tomorrow, would the world rejoice? Would it mourn? Or perhaps even worse, would it not even simply notice? A good question indeed. To balance all this out, I tend to disagree almost entirely with all the bad press that the church gets. In fact, if you really think about it, a person in my position perhaps has even more credibility to criticize the church's saltiness because, believe me, I am knee-deep in it. But I want to say they are dead wrong. The, the, the media or anything that has kind of given the church bad press over the years has not seen the dozens of Christian organizations who are making a life and death dif difference in thousands of people's lives every day. There are churches who are affecting crime rates in neighborhoods for the good every single day. There are thousands of people, people who may never get on the news or may never get on the newspaper, who roll up their sleeves and serve their community, serve our country, and serve this world for Christ every day. As a pastor, even in a church of our size, I hear of the countless things people are doing that never get known or talked about. And quite frankly, rebuke on me, I should talk about them more. I should talk about Church Without Walls, the night where they were running out of soup and they had another 100 people come in and all of a sudden they just kept serving soup and the soup never went down. It's a miracle. Why? Because the church was out there ministering to Oildale and the needs of the communities there. It's very easy to look and say, man, Christianity has a bad image. But we forget the other side. The other side were the people who aren't necessarily wearing God hates gays on their t-shirt, but they go out there and they love this world each and every day. It can be taken for granted or forgotten that the church is the hands and feet of Jesus in our world today. Are there a few bad apples? You bet. 
do they get the biggest headlines? They sure do. But they're a handful. They're a, they're a small little speck compared to the huge beach of people who get up every day and follow that little voice of God inside them to be salt to this world, to be light to this world. As I was thinking of our text this morning, I once, I, rem- I was thinking back to the time when, before I'd become a Christian, I had begun to see and experience something in the church that I am forever grateful for. While I had always met Christians, when I went into a real vibrant church, that was something different. Christians as an individual is one thing, but looking and seeing a vibrant church worship God, I was hungry for that. And to this day, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. If the church had never existed, I would not, I don't know where I'd be. I'll just be honest, I don't know where I'd be. And so, do we judge people if they reject the path that one might take by becoming a Christian or coming to church? No. And nor do we hypocritically pretend to be perfect. I'm two seconds from the jungle just like everybody else, but I do profess a hope in Jesus Christ as a Christian. I try to share that hope with others as the opportunity unfolds itself. With such a powerful God and with such supernatural experiences with this God, how can we keep silent when God opens the door for us to share? If you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus is thinking about the impact of the church on the world. And for a moment, we have to clear out what we might hear in the headlines or read in the magazines or see in the newspapers and go into the mind of Jesus to see his purpose for the church being salt and light in our world. Beginning in verse 13, Matthew says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In, in Jesus' day, they would have salt attached to certain minerals. And if you couldn't boil it or extract it, they'd literally just throw it back and it would become like, like gravel. I mean, that's, that's the image that he that he's, has here. Salt that's useless, so that it's just thrown back on the ground to be walked on. In verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Meaning is actually quite quite simple on this one. Salt was a very essential ingredient in the ancient world. It was as essential as water, and it did two things. It added flavoring to bland food, but it also served as a preservative 
long before ice boxes, long before refrigerators, people would preserve their food, especially for long journeys, with salt. So Matthew and Jesus is saying through Matthew, the church is God's gift to the world to both add something positive, a distinctive appetizing flavor, but also to keep it from decay. Now, the second thing is when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. The first century Jews would have went, what? What? The high priest is the light of the world. The the ruling council is the light of the world. The, The Pharisees are the salt of the earth. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, no, you are the light of the world. The emphasis on you would have been very new for them. It's like when some of us want to say, it's, it's the Pope who is the light of the world. It's the Pope who has the teachings of Christ or, or this bishop. or, or the, you know, we, we tend to want to have these people who are assigned to be that salt and light of Christ. Where Jesus is saying, ah, he erases all that. He says, no, you, each individual follower of Jesus Christ is salt to their world and light to their world. It's a call of personal responsibility. And so if you go to your sheet right there, point number one, how do we as individuals prevent desalinization, losing that saltiness as we are called to be salt and light to the world that we have been called to? Point number one, Listen for the contrast. The church and the world, in some ways, are contrasting cultures. Now, let me make it very clear. I'm not one of those Christians that hates everything about the world, can't wait till I die, just want to get this life over with so I can really get on with living. I know sometimes we can get in that way, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus has called us to a world he loves. I love people. I love all different kinds of people. I love people who ride motorcycles across the country or sail boats around the world. I love hearing their stories. We as people are made in the image of God. So we are called to a world that Christ loves, but there is a contrast. And the contrast, is I want to bring back one of the points from last week, is that we become the instead of Christians to exemplify to the world Christ's values over the world's values. Let me say, what is it instead of? It's like this. As Christians, Christ would call us to forgive instead of hold the grudge, to love instead of hate, to heal instead of wound. There's a contrast. To be humble instead of arrogant to take the high road instead of decay. There's an instead of principle in our Christianity that God is calling and saying, when people see the salt and the light of the world, they will see the instead of option and that that will be representative of Christ in the world, of God in the world. So listen for the contrast. And we listen for the contrast really in two ways. By reading the Bible. The, the Bible is an instead of book. And instead, you know, you start reading through that. Oh, this is what they did when they did the oh, and this is what they you know, oh, Gideon only had 200 people and he conquered an army. Oh my goodness, that's pretty instead of to me. 
And you begin to see God's voice in all that, but also we find the instead of really in the small little prayers throughout the day. Most people don't know this, but I've done this with nearly all of you who I've had a conversation with. Sometimes as we're praying and we're working on a decision, I do this with Carmen probably five times this week. Five times this week. I get this little blank stare on my face and I kind of look down. I'm praying. I cannot pray and look at you at the same time. <laughs> I cannot pray and talk to you at the same time. But sometimes an issue comes in and I'm just thinking, Jesus, help me with this. Help me know what to do. Live your life through me right now. How are we going to decide this? What are we going to do? All right, amen. Boom, and you go. Just those little prayers throughout the day. Lord, I'm about to make a left turn. I know this guy's going to cut me off. Just help me, help me right now. Help me. Help me. <sighs> Thank you. Just those, the, the little prayers. I think sometimes God would rather have, of us have a, 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 a life of those little prayers rather than saving everything to the end of the day. Or, 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 or getting it all done in the, in the beginning of the day. It's that those little prayers throughout the day as we listen for the contrast to be salt and light in our world. Number two, begin with the small things. Somebody once told me that, uh, and I've heard this several times, that waiters and waitresses, they all have this thing where Christians are the worst tippers in the world. Uh, has anybody ever told you that? I've heard that so many times that when a waiter or waitress knows that a, a Christian group is coming in, they go, ah, oh, no, no tipping here. Now, forget that for a moment. It's beginning, salt and light begins in those little things. Sending a thank you card to someone who did something for you. Tipping the waiter or waitress that they served you. Saying sorry if, so, if you cut somebody off. Uh, sponsoring a child through World Vision. I know a lot of people... You know, for, I love it, a, a cost of a cup of coffee a day, feed and educate a, a child. I think to myself, why doesn't everybody do that? Why don't I do it? Why don't I sponsor five? You know, I mean, just those little things of beginning to be salt and light. You don't have to, we don't have to conquer the world tomorrow. We just begin with the little things. Number three, destroy the Sunday Christian within. If there's one thing, most of my friends who are not Christian, their biggest beef is when they see somebody act one way in church, and then the rest of the week, that's not them. It just reinforces the one word we hope we're never associated with. And what word is that? Hypocrisy. Number four, listen to learn, not to critique. A lot of new Christians, every message, every Bible study, everything they hear, they learn and they soak. But I find myself doing this after 20 years of this. I can tend to listen to critique rather than to learn. How did the pastor deliver? Did he hit it out of the park? We hear that a lot, don't we? Did the pastor hit it out of the park or was it a single, a double, triple? What, 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 was it popular? What, would it have appealed to a broad audience or was it, what, what, did he go too narrow? Did, you know, you, I mean, some of you, maybe you've been doing that for the last 20 minutes. And what happens is when we get in critique mode because we've heard it before, we can neglect to actually learn or relearn the fresh thing that God has for us today. I, 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 I just hate when people ask me, you know, how did the pastor do if I visit another church? I'd rather them say, what did the pastor teach on that you, that you took away from? 
I love that question. But I hate how did the pastor do, you know? Because if I go there, if I get in evaluative mode, I'm passing by so much great stuff. I'll fail to learn and listen and get what God has for me. So number four, listen to learn, not just to critique. And then number five, avoid the easy outs. When I was younger, a few churches ago, I had just become a pastor on staff. And I had had a week where I was in a real crisis of faith. I began to doubt it all. I began to get mad and angry. I don't, I, I don't think I really did any outright sin that would have disqualified me, but I was, I was about ready to throw in a towel, quit, move on, because I just felt like I had some things I had not worked out in my faith. So I went and I saw my pastor, uh, and I wasn't actually even, I wasn't hired or anything, I was just a volunteer leader, and I said, you know what, I think, I think I need to step down. I'm having some struggles right now, and, and I don't think they would qualify me as a leader. And he told, hey, I told him what they were, and, and, he, and he, we had a conversation. And he got up, and he walked over to the window, very dramatically like a movie. Got up, walked over to the window, and he just kind of tapped it with his knuckle. And then he turned around, and he goes, no, Tom, that's the easy way out. We all have that. Everybody has that. You're no less of a follower of Jesus because you've come to a point of real struggle on some things. And you've done nothing that God's grace can't contain. The easy way out would just be to quit right now because you're in a rough patch. But don't take the easy way out. Stay in this. Stay faithful. See this to the end. Don't give up just because you're having a few second thoughts. And oh boy, I'm so glad he said that. The easy way out would have been just to say, you know what? That salt and life stuff is for the Christians who got it together, and I'm not one of those. There's moments where we're all the Christian that doesn't have it together. And the easy way out would be to say, yeah, I, I just am absolved from all responsibility. The fact is, while we have breath in our lungs and life in our bodies, and called to faithfulness through the rough patches and through the sweet spots. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to hear the contrasts between your values and the values of our mainstream culture. God, I pray that you would help us to begin with the small things. Lay it on our heart right now. Who's somebody we could thank? Who's somebody we could send a card to? Who's somebody we could be salt and light to that we've neglected? Because God, the small things prepare us for those rare days where the big things come. God, help us to destroy the Sunday Christian, to wake up tomorrow in the same grace, love, faith, and hope that we yearn for this morning, we yearn for tomorrow morning. Help us to listen, not just to critique, but to learn, to once again be awed by the undeniable 
inexplainable love you have for us and our planet. And finally, Lord, for each of us who may feel disqualified from really serving as a Christian, I pray, Lord, that you'd say, no, ask the easy way out. And everybody's been there. Be faithful. You'll get through the rough patch. And you'll experience more of God's love and glory you could ever imagine. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. And uh, coffee cart is, is fully stocked. I was just out there having my little before worship, after worship, before sermon breakfast. And so uh, go ahead and hang out there for a little bit, meet some people. God bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you next week as we enter into the 11th month of the year 2011. I can't believe that 2012 is about eight, nine weeks away. So have a great, great morning. And we'll see you next Sunday.